Hello, everybody. I'm Pam Pastor, host of the Grace and Peace of God Love Wins. I'm happy that you found me, but more importantly, I am thrilled that you have found Jesus. Friends, there is power in the name of Jesus, and as we journey together, we will be unleashing discoveries of how to turn hearts of stone into ones of moldable clay for the potter Jesus to transform. If you're new to our show, you'll find that this podcast is built upon a foundation of biblical truths. And being a podcast, when I interject an opinion, I make sure to let you know it is only my opinion and not a statement of fact. Hopefully you'll join me and others each week as we adventure and explore life together. And periodically, friends, we'll delve into my mailbag, answering questions from listeners just like you. So if you have a question, make sure and email it to me at pampastorcopywriting at gmail.com. Well, friends, as we prepare to enter into God's presence today, allow me to speak a blessing over your life. This blessing comes to us in the form of a benediction from Moses' brother, priest Aaron. He says, may the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show his favor and give you his peace. Amen. And friends, that came directly out of Numbers chapter 6, verses 24 through 26, if you want to reference that later. Well, I do want to welcome you back. If you're a new listener, then definitely welcome. So glad you're here. If you are returning, welcome back. Also glad that you're here. You know, the Bible sometimes needs to come together like that of a puzzle within our lives, one piece at a time. And the Holy Spirit will reveal to us what we need at just the right time. But we must begin with a saving salvation where we have placed our faith upon the right object, which is none other than Jesus Christ. Beyond this, we traverse to the fundamentals, being careful to progress in our stacking upon each of these foundational elements. Perhaps you've heard the baking analogy that simply states, ingredients looked upon separately hold no intricate value, yet when they're combined, a synergistic effect takes shape and a wonderful creation is enjoyed. Our adventures with Jesus are much the same. We learn in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, so make every effort to apply the benefits of these promises to your life. Then your faith will produce a life of moral excellence. A life of moral excellence leads to knowing God better. Knowing God leads to self-control. Self-control leads to patient endurance, and patient endurance leads to godliness. Godliness leads to love for other Christians, and finally, you will grow to have genuine love for everyone. So you see how each one stacks upon 
the previous one. The more you grow like this, the more you will become productive and useful in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But those who fail to develop these virtues are blind, or at least very short-sighted according to the Bible. They've already forgotten that God has cleansed them from their old life of sin. Beyond holding on to certain facts, our faith must be dynamic, resulting in action on our part. Our relationship with Jesus teaches us to have a knowing of who God is. And all of these characteristics of self-control, patient endurance, godliness, and loving others doesn't come naturally nor automatically for us. We must work for this. These are a culmination of areas that we continually work on rather than work one and move on to the next. It's through God's power that we're able to grow into these gifts. Furthermore, verses 10 and 11 tell us, So dear brothers and sisters, work hard to prove that you really are among those God has called and chosen. Doing this, you will never stumble or fall away. And God will open wide the gates of heaven for you to enter into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. When we add all these things upon one another, our spiritual gifts develop and deepen and our maturity as Christians become evident. We're continuing on today with Jesus's parables. Now, the first one comes from the Gospel of Luke, and it's often called the Good Samaritan. If you're following along with me, I invite you to turn in your Bibles now to Luke chapter 10, verses 30 through 37, where we begin with Jesus replying with an illustration. A Jewish man was traveling on a trip from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, money, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a Jewish priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt deep pity. Kneeling beside him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with medicine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his donkey and took him to an inn where he could take care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two pieces of silver and told him to take care of the man. If his bill runs higher than that, he said, I'll pay the difference the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits, Jesus asked. And remember, friends, a neighbor, according to Jesus, when he says, love your neighbor, that is anyone that we come into Uh, proximity with. It's anyone. It doesn't matter if they're right next door to us or around halfway around the world. So the man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. But what makes this story so powerful is the fact that historically the Jews and Samaritans held a deep hatred between each other and went out of the way to avoid each other. The Jews were pure descendants of Abraham, while the Samaritans were a mixed race. 
The Jews from the northern kingdom had intermarried with other peoples after Israel's exile from Egypt. So the person who was the least likely to have helped the Jew was the Samaritan. And this is exactly who stepped up, jumping in and providing care to this wounded soul. Now, the legal expert who Jesus was speaking with couldn't even bring himself to use the term Samaritan when answering Jesus. This so quote unquote expert's attitude betrayed what he had said earlier that the law commanded and that was love. This leads us into an area of study focused on humility. Jesus once again taught on this subject through the use of stories. And if you're following along with me, I'm referencing Luke chapter 14, verses 7 through 14. Here Jesus teaches about seeking honor. When Jesus noticed that all who had come to the dinner were trying to sit near the head of the table, he gave them this advice. If you're invited to a wedding feast, don't always head for the best seat. What if someone more respected than you has also been invited? The host will say, let this person sit here instead. Then you will be embarrassed and will have to take whatever seat is left at the foot of the table. Do this instead. Sit at the foot of the table. Then when your host sees you, he will come and say, friend, we have a better place than this for you. Then you will be honored in front of all the other guests. For the proud will be humbled, but the humble will be honored. Then he turned to his host. When you put on a luncheon or a dinner, he said, don't invite your friends, brothers, relatives, and rich neighbors, for they will repay you by inviting you back. Instead, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Then at the resurrection of the godly, God will reward you for inviting those who could not repay you. As in Jesus' day, people are still interested in raising their social standings within society. However, Jesus advised not to rush ahead for the best places at the banquet feast. Presenting ourselves to show ourselves approved by God is what we should strive for. 2 Timothy 2, verse 15, Paul puts it like this, Work hard so God can approve you. Be a good worker, one who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly explains the word of truth. When we attempt to elevate our own position, often it ends in utter dismal because we used human efforts. Perhaps we tried to hang around the right people, dress for success, or even purchase a status automobile with the aim to achieve prestige. We are served better And we serve better if we allow God to use us where he has planted us. You've probably heard the saying, bloom where you're planted or transplanted. If God is the one wanting us to serve on a higher scale, he will move us to the higher position. As always, Jesus taught with purpose. Every parable recorded has a lesson or a key takeaway within it for us. This one has two. Were you able to identify what they were? Well, here's a couple that I found. First, Jesus spoke to the guests, telling them not to seek places of honor at the table. Remember, in God's kingdom, the upside-down way is up. Service is always more valued over a person's status. 
The second principle is that Jesus informed the host not to be exclusive about the guest list. The kingdom of God is open to all. It's not partial for those who can pay us back. While we're never in the right to judge others, perhaps you've experienced a time when you witnessed another person attempting to quote-unquote act humble. They were doing their best to give off an appearance of humility in order to manipulate others. Some people try to put themselves down to give this appearance. A good rule of thumb to follow in an attempt to decide if someone's humility is genuine and authentic is being aware of whom they compare themselves to. For example, a genuinely humble person will only compare themselves to Jesus. In this comparison, they realize their full effect of sinfulness and they understand their limitations. On the flip side of this, they also recognize their talents, gifts, and strengths and where they can be placed into action as Jesus calls them forth. Humility is never about self-degradation. It's rather a self-realistic evaluation and a commitment to serve at all levels. And finally, friends, our last reading is coming out of the gospel of Mark chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. So if you're interested in following along, this is the narrative of the people refusing to believe. Jesus left that part of the country and returned with his disciples to Nazareth, his hometown. The next Sabbath he began. He began teaching in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished. They asked, where did he get all his wisdom and power to perform such miracles? He's just the carpenter, the son of Mary and brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. And his sisters live right here among us. They were deeply offended and refused to believe him. Then Jesus told them, A prophet is honored everywhere except in his hometown and among his relatives and his own family. And because of their unbelief, he couldn't do any mighty miracles among them except to place his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. Jesus' teachings were filled with wisdom, and he taught with precision, yet the people of his hometown only saw him as a carpenter. They couldn't see beyond the limited mindset they had adapted to. His wisdom and power came directly from God. His hometown people were offended that others held belief in his miracles and teachings. They wondered how these people could be so easily impressed and gullible to boot. All of his authority, authorization, and ability to execute upon the word of God was rejected by low-minded beliefs. These people held preconceived notions of what the Messiah would and should look like. They thought they knew him. They failed to realize people grow and change over time. And more importantly, this was God incarnate, perfect from the beginning. This would make it impossible to accept his message. They were too embroiled and prejudiced against him. Oftentimes, when we join in with others, it's challenging to accept truth, and we become blind in an atmosphere of groupthink. Jesus said that a prophet 
known as a worker for God, is never honored in his hometown, but that doesn't make his work any less important. A person doesn't need to be respected nor honored to be useful to God. It doesn't matter if our friends, our neighbors, or even our family respect our Christian work. We're not to pay attention to their rejection to keeping us from serving God. Jesus could have pushed through and performed greater miracles in his hometown of Nazareth, yet he chose not to. The people's pride and unbelief kept them from more, as they did not believe anything he did was from God. Here's what the Lord instructed in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, 8 through 11. If a town welcomes you, eat whatever's set before you and heal the sick. As you heal them, say the kingdom of God is near you now. But if a town refuses to welcome you, go out into the streets and say, we wipe the dust of your town from our feet as a public announcement of your doom. And don't forget the kingdom of God is near. The truth is, even wicked Sodom will be better off than such a town on the judgment day. Mark chapter 6 verse 11 puts it like this, And if a village won't welcome you or listen to you, shake off its dust from your feet as you leave. It's a sign that you've abandoned that village to its fate. Friends, if you've not been spiritually reborn, wouldn't now make a good time? God made it clear to enter into the kingdom of heaven, a person must confess and profess belief in his son, Jesus. Listen to what the apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. When we place our trust in Jesus, a divine exchange takes place. Jesus takes our sin, making us right with God. Our sin was placed on to Jesus at his crucifixion. His righteousness is given to us at our conversion. While we can never repay this extraordinary and extravagant gift of kindness back to Jesus, we can show him gratitude by growing and making efforts to obey him, deepening our relationship daily. Today, friends, if this is you, respectfully, I'm challenging you. Take a bold step of courage. Place your faith into action and place that faith into the appropriate object, Jesus, by openly confessing after me. Today, I'm repenting of sin, meaning I'm changing my ways of thinking. Jesus, I'm inviting you to come into my heart taking up residence. I confess your shed blood washed away my past, present, and future sins from the top of my head to the soles of my feet at the cross upon Calvary. Amen. Friends, if you prayed this prayer salvation, you were saved and born again spiritually. Your next step is to read God's word daily so he can guide, direct, and reveal himself to you through the person of the Holy Spirit. And consider growing by joining a good Bible-based church, surrounding yourself with other like-minded believers who will build up and help edify your faith in Jesus. 
Now allow me to be the first person to congratulate you on making the most important decision of your lifetime. Congratulations and God bless you. And friends, the Grace and Peace of God Love Wins podcast will be available most days during the week when we're not in the middle of a series. A special children's podcast airs on Wednesdays. So tune in along with your children for your favorite Bible stories that you grew up with. We'll be discussing and sharing Jesus's unlimited power in our present day lives. We delve into many topics such as forgiveness, spiritual warfare, how to be joyful, what love in action looks like, parables, biblical trust, and so many more topics. I invite you and your friends to come alongside me as we embark on an adventure of all things Jesus. So please join me. And if you like this episode, make sure to subscribe. Making Then that way you'll get the latest releases as they become available. And friends, much of today's podcast referenced my book, The Grace and Peace of God Love Wins. If you found the content inspiring or compelling, you can pick up a copy from my website. If you want to dig in and do more of a rigorous study on your own, just go over to pampastorcopywriting.com, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or Dorrance.com. But importantly, if you're unable to afford a copy, write to me. I'll find a way to get a free copy into your hands. You won't be disappointed. This book is full of God's word, and it's waiting for you to read it. Until next time, remember, you've been marked and sealed with the cross of Jesus Christ forever. And friends, Revelation chapter 22, verse 21, the Apostle John sends us away with the very last blessing of the Bible. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Until next time, friends, God bless you.